0: Hey yo, hello, this is the Trophy Room, aka Trophy Room Radio, aka the absolute best way to work through your Wednesday. Props to us for keeping the streak of uh, skipping homework to do this show, and props to you guys for continuing to listen, even though uh, we had some bumps where we missed the show, and others where audio quality was less than stellar, less than ideal. I had one a couple weeks ago, I went back to listen to it, and I was like, wow, this is absolutely terrible so props to everybody big round of applause for making it through the last few weeks because it's definitely been rough we've had a lot going on but we're here we're back we have some interesting news coming up here in a second listen we have to talk about what some people are calling the game of the year and maybe the catch of all time i don't think so but we also have to break down the best win of the weekend and why they're not getting credit for it and you know we'll look at those pesky cfp rankings and look at who got right and who was seriously wrong as y'all know if you have listened to the trophy room for long enough we are sponsored by the good people over at Jim candy so head over to gymcandygummies.com as well as their socials on instagram and tiktok go and test out the product that is revolutionizing the free workout market couple things before we get into all that because there is all that. We're talking about the Cowboys. We're talking about the Packers. We're talking about the Oregon Ducks. We're talking about Josh Allen. Don't worry. We're talking about Josh Allen. Couple things. First of all, y'all, I no longer have to. This is probably going to be the last day I have to record on the floor of my bedroom or at that really wildly uncomfortable chair that I got to sit at. You know, anyone who's been to college, you know. The chairs they give you for your desk in your apartment ruin your back almost as much as their mattresses do. Like I talked about the mattress pad last week. So, uh, yeah, I found a little podcasting studio up on campus. So I think we're going to be able to wake up in the mornings and just put that out on Wednesday morning. Fingers crossed. I haven't used it yet, but I got the code to get into the room. I mean, look, it looks like a closet, but y'all don't care because you just come here for the sound. You come here for – the piping hot takes, right? Um, also, spent literally my entire morning on Tuesday, four hours, in line to get Taylor Swift tickets. Virtually, obviously, don't, for those of you who are old, don't, don't come at me like I'm acting like I went through Vietnam to get those tickets. Obviously, I didn't. Obviously, back in the day, you had to wait in line actually physically, not in the metaverse, but like actual physically outside in line to get tickets. I didn't have to do that, but still, it was kind of annoying because I thought I could get through. I was in like pre-sale. I was like pre-vetted, waited in line for an hour, had to skip class, almost had to skip work. I literally had to do this ghetto thing where I had my friend, my roommate, drive me to school while I was hooked up to his hotspot. Then he dropped me off at work. I had to take his phone into work with me. Then I had to walk into work, connect my laptop to that Wi-Fi so that I didn't lose my spot in line, and then left my computer with the front desk lady at work. I was like, girl, don't worry about it. It's a whole thing. She didn't understand. Ran my phone back out to my friend and then waited in line for the next four hours to uh, get the Taylor Swift tickets. I paid way too much for mine, and I'm not going to be a scumbag and resell, but the resale on these Taylor Swift tickets. And I don't get what it is. Like, I like it. I just did it to take my little sister next year. But, I, again, I don't totally get all of the hype. It's not worth me, I don't think, paying $500 a ticket to sit in nosebleeds. But some people think it is. Um, Other thing that's changed my life besides Mattress Pad the last few weeks is... Uh, I can't remember who it was. But somebody put me on this idea of white noise. I don't know if y'all ever mess with white noise. But... My room in our apartment is on the other side of a lovely energetic roommate, and the other wall is the living room. And so a lot of times, there's just a lot of noise, and so I gotta pop AirPods in, and I'm not rich enough to have the iPod 2 Pro QI Plus, or whatever they're called now, so I don't have like the noise-canceling, I just have the basic AirPod 1s, but noise, or not noise-canceling, if y'all, have, if y'all aren't on uh, White Noise, I think it's called, White Noise, Change My Life helps me sleep, helps me focus on it. Because sometimes I want to have something in my ear just like going when I'm trying to do homework or work or whatever. I don't know what it is about White Noise. It's it's pretty much just uh, pretty static, organized static, but it has helped me a lot. So the no free shout-outs for the day goes or... If you want to call them the absolute free shout out to the way I'm literally pumping white noise in my ears right now as you're listening to this. Hopefully you can't hear it through my headphones, but we'll see. So people there, boys, there's a lot to get to a lot, a lot. I feel like I have more topics listed up here than I usually do, but we're going to try and crank through them, all of them pretty fast. So the first thing I want to talk about, we're uh, one of the things we're going to do off the top, we're going to do. Like two topics, and then we're going to go through the playoff picture because I feel like a lot changed in this last week in the NFL in respects to uh, what happened just because of the Bills' loss, and then the Eagles finally got their first loss, and then the Packers won a game. And so there's just a whole lot of things, and then Commanders won a game, which they're on the bubble to get into the playoffs. I've, I I can't remember. We'll check here in a second to tell you whether or not they would make the playoffs if the playoff picture ended today or started today. But here's the first thing. I'm so done with ESPN making it their life mission to let everyone know that they're not upset about Jeff Saturday leaving. Like, we all have that friend who, when they go through a breakup, that all they ever do is talk about their ex And they're like, oh my gosh, did you see how fat so-and-so got? And like, that's all they talk about. Or they talk about the new person that they're with and they're like, yeah, he's such a loser or she's such a loser. I can't believe my ex is with that person. And all they ever do is talk about their ex. Everyone else seems to have moved on from the idea that Jeff Saturday has a new job, except for ESPN. Everyone. And I'll get to why that's problematic in a second, other than the fact that it's just a toxic trait. We talked about this a little bit last week, but It definitely, it it, it, honestly, the more I look at it, the more I think that's probably part of the reason Jeff Saturday had no problem leaving is because he knew that a lot of these people were fake friends because let's be honest, Jeff Saturday's politics probably don't align with a lot of the politics at ESPN, whole other separate topic to say how unfortunate it is that people of different political ideologies cannot be friends, but that is what it is. I digress, but it was so pathetic. And if you watch the Monday Night Football pregame, you know what I'm talking about and if you're intelligent enough to not watch any ESPN-sponsored content other than the actual games themselves, then I then you don't know what I'm talking about because you're not as dumb as I am. But they spent a whole segment talking about Jeff Saturday and the win that the Colts got. And all they want to do is discredit Jeff Saturday for the win that the Colts got on Sunday. And we'll go into that win in a second. But it was so pathetic to watch Adam Schefter and Steve Young and Booger McFarland and RG three and all of these guys just rip him to pieces because now that he won a game, these are their go to arguments. Well, the the game really didn't mean that much. It was more about the other coaches on the field, which I 100% agree with. Like it, I'm sure they had a, a lot to do with it. Coaching isn't a one guy solution, right? The other thing is that they couldn't stop talking about was they just cannot let I let go of this idea that he didn't deserve the job because he didn't earn it. And Steve Young went on this long, kind of ignorant, kind of annoying soliloquy where he he outlined the idea that he didn't deserve it because he didn't go through the ranks like the rest of these associate head coaches and these assistant coaches in the NFL. Steve Young, so this is, I think, a problem with athletes. Because let's be real about something. A lot of athletes have privilege. And, And I'm not talking about racial privilege. I'm not talking about money privilege. I'm talking about kind of like pretty privilege, but you get it because you're an athlete. And a lot of athletes, the only job that they ever work was going and playing football. And here's the deal. You've been robbed and a little bit disillusioned. Because football and sports, for the most part, are the only real meritocracy That we have in America. Even capitalism a little bit. Is not a true meritocracy. Because you got money from the government. You got all this other stuff. But I think sports are probably the purest form of meritocracy we have. Where like. If you throw touchdowns. If you throw bombs. If you dunk. Like. If you can hit a 30 foot jumper. 5 out of 10 times. 4 out of 10 times. Like. You're going to get the respect that you deserve. Guess what Steve Young. That is not always how the real world works, and everyone who's listening to me knows what I'm talking about because every single person listening to this has been in situations where they felt they deserved the promotion most, and they probably did and didn't get it because you hadn't already interviewed for the job before. You aren't best friends with your boss's son or your boss. Like, There's just connections that get you jobs. That's the real world, Steve Young. And I get that maybe you don't get that because you could sling the ball just as good as everyone else. And so, therefore, like you worked your way up. But sometimes people jump the ladder. There are sometimes, and and I hate this. This is what I have a lot of things that I just like I rant about or that I bring back. One of the things is I really don't appreciate women getting jobs as sideline reporters and on air talent just because they're pretty, not because they actually appreciate and understand the game. Because I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of women I know who may not physically appear as some of the others, and therefore, even though they're more intelligent and more qualified, they don't get the job. Not always the case. I'm not saying all women are done. I'm just saying sometimes the most intelligent person doesn't get the job. Sometimes the most deserving person doesn't get the job, and that's what I just... It's not that they don't understand that. It's that they want to discredit him for any way that they can because... The media says this is a race issue. I love Jeff Saturday's uh, pregame interview. I loved him tweeting saying that the Raiders look bad. And I love that he came out and kicked the Raiders tail. So let's get to a couple of things. First of all, Jonathan Taylor outside. Like Jonathan Taylor could have won MVP last year. And nobody would have had an issue with it. He was easily the best running back in the league. He was too big. He was too fast. He was too strong. He was everything, right? Last year rushed for 1,800 yards, and that doesn't even include his receptions or the other touchdowns. Eight, 1,800 yards and 18 touchdowns, 5.5 yards per carry. Okay? So they, Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor has had one good game this season against the Texans. 31 carries for 161 yards. Dude, if you carry the ball 31 times, you better get 161 carries. And I love Jonathan Taylor. Ever since then, 54 yards, 70 yards, 42 yards, 58 yards, 76 yards. And then Jeff Saturday's first game as a head coach, 147 yards and a touchdown. 6.7 yards per carry. Okay? So Jonathan Taylor looked like Jonathan Taylor more than he has all season when Jeff Saturday became the coach. I'll tell you what that means here in a second. But also, here's the other deal. Guess what? Matt Ryan has had one game where he was not sacked all year. That was against Jacksonville. The next closest game where he wasn't sacked a million times was Jeff Saturday's first game as a coach. Jeff Saturday's first game as a coach. His completion percentage was as high as it's been all season. Matt Ryan's passer rating was as high as it's been all season. Matt Ryan's rush yards were as high as it's been all season. He also didn't throw any picks. Look, I'm not saying that Jeff Saturday is the greatest coach of all time. But if you look at some of the greatest coaches to ever touch football, and because I'm a BYU guy, I immediately think Andy Reid and Lavelle Edwards. Some of the greatest coaches of all time are offensive linemen because they are the only ones on the field who have to know what everyone is doing. Everyone. They have to know what the defense is doing. They have to know what the line is doing. They have to know who's blitzing, who's not, where coverages are, where they're not. They have to understand RPOs. They have to understand when to block, when to run block, when to pass block. They have to understand stunts. They have to understand everything. They have to know every route on the field. Offensive linemen, people would, I don't think anyone would disagree, are the most intelligent people on the field. Jeff Saturday was a pretty great offensive lineman. And he also loves the city of Indianapolis, loves the state of Indiana, understands how much they love their football, understands how much he loves football, and that is all that he needed. I don't think that Jeff Saturday is the single greatest coach of all time. I think it's probably pretty likely that he loses more games than he wins the rest of the season. But if you don't believe there's a culture change in Indiana, if you don't believe there's a fire underneath these dudes' butts, then you didn't watch the same game that I watched when they beat, yes, a depleted Raiders team on Sunday. But if you watch that game, You and I understand the same thing. And that's that Jeff Saturday understands the football team that he has. He made Paris Campbell look great. Michael Pittman looked great. Jonathan Taylor looked like himself for the first time all season. And Matt Ryan wasn't struggling the entire game. Was it a pretty game? No. But here's the other thing. It's not like everything went their way the entire game. They had fumbles. They had things that did not go their way. And they won the game anyway. So I'm not saying that Jeff Saturday... And that's the other thing. Again, why would anyone have wanted this job? Don't complain to me that Eric bien and all these other black head coaches and all these other head coaches who were climbing up the ladder didn't get the job. Because if they would have got the job, won zero games the rest of the season and gotten fired, you would have said, well, that wasn't the job for them. And now their record looks bad as a result. You know what? No one wanted the job. Jeff Saturday was willing to step into the role and take it. And he's obviously understanding the team that he has. That's the only thing that matters. The rest of the season is yet to be seen. But all I'm saying is, Matt Ryan had his best game of the season, and Jonathan Taylor had his best game of the season, and the offensive line had their best game of the season. Just let him cook. Let let Jeff Saturday have his credit. Say, look, he coached a good game. Doesn't mean you have to say that he coached the best of anyone all season. He just had a really good game coaching. And look, I bet you a lot of guys. It's not just Jeff Saturday. A lot of guys played into that. But I think there's a culture change, and I think they understand. They have a guy who loves football, and he's fired up, and he understands the game better than 99% of people. That's all I'm saying. So here's the next thing. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the game of the year. What some are calling the game of the year, which I would agree with. I was not unfortunate, but... So I go to church at a weird time, y'all. I got church at noon, which means I get, like, an hour to watch or, like, 30 minutes to watch games before I have to go to church. And then I get to watch the end of the games because I'm the type of guy who I – look, as much as I, – like, I like to watch football probably more than most people. But I am really trying not to watch football while I'm in church. Let those two hours be for God and nobody else. But holy cow, did we have a game on our hands? And also, I'm sorry for going long on that Jeff Saturday thing, but it just really irks me that people aren't giving him any kind of credit at all. So we have the game of the year on Sunday. Maybe the catch of all time, which we'll get to in a second. If you didn't watch, go back and watch the highlights. I feel bad for anyone who didn't get the coverage of the Bills-Vikings game. I don't know how I ended up with it because I feel like living in Utah – I always get the weirdest games. And unfortunately, Sunday ticket is way too expensive for me to justify paying for. But the question that ESPN came away with asking after that game, which really pisses me off, and a lot of other people ask this question as well, is do the Bills have a Josh Allen problem? So let's be honest about a couple of things here. The first thing is... Everyone and their dog knows that Josh Allen or Tom Brady should have won the MVP last year, and that it wasn't Aaron Rodgers' award to win. That's the first thing. The second thing is, Josh Allen lost his offensive coordinator. An offensive coordinator, not just anybody, an offensive coordinator who's making Daniel Jones and the New York Giants look good, like good enough to make the playoffs, Which they haven't done since Odell Beckham was there. And even when he was there, they got run out of that playoff game. So the Giants haven't looked good in a long time with a division that God asks anyone just to take and nobody seems to want to. There's the first thing. And a lot of times when guys lose their offensive coordinator, we give them a little bit of slack. Here's the other deal. Why are we already assuming that Josh Allen is a finished product? You know what I'm saying? Like, we're like, oh, you're not playing like a Super Bowl quarterback. So therefore, there's an issue and you've fallen off a cliff. You do realize that it was just like a year and a half, two years ago that we were all willing to say that Josh Allen was a bust from Wyoming who never should have been drafted in the first place, who had all the intangibles but none of the the skill. None of the none of the focus, right? That's what everybody said. And how quick we are to change our tune when Josh Allen is, A, they look like the best team in the league for, like, six, seven weeks. They beat the Chiefs, who everyone wants to anoint Patrick Mahomes as the greatest quarterback who ever lived, okay? they Who everyone thinks the Chiefs are the best team in the league, and they might be right. They did beat the Chiefs, if you remember that. Losing to the Vikings... You can say – this is the other thing I hate. I hate how we value interceptions more than touchdowns. Guess what, people? One of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived, Brett Favre, threw a ton of picks. Again, I'm not saying the picks always translates to greatness. But I'm saying that sometimes it does. And with Josh Allen's case, I think that it does because his body of work shows – look – Those of you who want to say that that's an anomaly and to say point me to who? Jameis Winston. I don't recall Jameis Winston winning as many playoff games or playing as successfully as Josh Allen. And don't give me the, oh, he's not a pro bowler because pro bowls mean nothing. Don't give me he hasn't won a Super Bowl because he's 25. The Bills don't have a Josh Allen problem because, again, like I was talking about earlier, valuing interceptions over touchdowns. They turned the ball over three times in that game, Josh Allen did. A fumble on the goal line, which is not 100% on Josh Allen. Does it suck? Yeah. Did he cost the game? Yeah. But guess what? With those three interceptions, or those three turnovers, you're going to tell me that Devin Singletary in the run game kept them in that football game? You're going to tell me a defense they gave up 31 points kept them in that football game? No. Josh Allen kept them in that football game. Did he play lights out and stellar? No. But also, we would all agree that the Vikings are one of the four best teams in the National Football League. To me, in no particular order, it goes like this. Eagles, Vikings, Chiefs, Bills. And if you wanted to set an order, I would probably say Chiefs, uh, Chiefs, Eagles, bills vikings and the vikings just beat the bills so you can put that however you want but the point i want to make to you is that let's not be switching sides so fast when josh allen has done so much to prove us otherwise and he just he's lost his offensive coordinator he lost the guy who reined him in a little bit because we're right josh allen has a lot of talent Sometimes not all of the focus. Sometimes he thinks he can do things that he can't. like that interception he threw to Patrick Peterson at the end of the game. That's all I'm saying. Let's like let's not switch up. Let's not hop the line back and forth. Let's just let Josh Allen be Josh Allen because he's been pretty great so far. Doesn't need to run the ball a little less? Maybe. Is running the ball that much and tackling guys with your busted elbow gonna cause him injury issues soon? Maybe. But let's just let him play how he is because he's played pretty dang good so far with a Bills team that hasn't been irrelevant since the four falls of Buffalo when they went to the Super Bowl four years in a row and couldn't win those either. So, let's not cook Josh Allen too early. The season's not even halfway over. Also, catch of the year. I won't spend a ton of time on this, but I will look at it like this. This is how I explained it to my buddy yesterday. Because I do think... That Justin Jefferson's catch is one of the greatest that I've ever seen. People want to go and compare it to Odo Beckham's catch. This is how I feel about it. Alright? If you like movies, you'll understand. To me, Justin Jefferson's Catch is a Christopher Nolan movie. It's it's the Dark Knight or Inception or Tenet. Incredible films take a lot of attention and attention to detail to digest odell beckham that's mission impossible that's iron man that's insert great action movie here it's not that hard to digest you can watch it and say wow that was awesome you don't have to look at some of the potential plot holes You don't have to look at the fact that Odo Beckham's catch really didn't mean a whole lot situationally, didn't help them win an all time great game. Whereas with Justin Jefferson's catch, you got to understand a couple of things. You got to understand the context of the game, you got to understand the context of the teams that were involved in that game, which 10 years from now is going to be hard to develop that same sentiment that we could see with Odo Beckham's catch six years later. It's just a little bit different. It's a different attention to detail and different level of digestion for each. But dang, that Justin Jefferson catch was great. And also, this is just a PSA to everyone that at the beginning of the year said, you know what, I'm not sure that Justin Jefferson can keep this up at Luke. Luke didn't say he was going to be a bust, but Luke did say he wasn't sure if he was going to continue to be great. Continue to be one of the best receivers in the league. I didn't feel that way. He's doing it, y'all. He's a top three receiver in the league. To me, the top three receivers in the league right now go, Devontae Adams, yeah, I get the Raiders suck, but look at Devontae Adams' stats. He's pulling that team as hard as he can. Tyreek Hill, enough said, and Justin Jefferson. Because I love What I love about Jay Jettas is that he's almost like similar to Jerry Rice athletically in that He's not the fastest guy on the field, not the biggest guy on the field, not the best athlete on the field. He's just so smooth in how he runs his routes and how he chooses to get open, and he's just always open. That's all I got to say. Okay, next topic. Let's go and look at the 2022 NFL playoff picture. So I I don't know if a lot of shows that y'all listen to do this, but I really enjoy looking at the playoff picture because – to me, it's it's not about power rankings. It's not about, oh, who is ranks higher than who. It's like comparing NFC teams to AFC teams, it's like, yeah, well, those teams won't have to play in the playoffs, so it doesn't mean as much. It's, it's all situational football. It's not who's the greatest in the league right now. It's just who do you have to play to get to a Super Bowl because the Chiefs scheduled to get to a Super Bowl might look a little bit more difficult than the Eagles or the Vikings. So here's how it's going to go. If you want to have, if you want to go ahead and look it up, here i I'd go ahead, but I'm just going to break it down for you. So number 1 AFC, if the playoffs ended today, 1 seed would be the Chiefs, 2 seed would be Miami Dolphins, 3 seed Titans, 4 seed Ravens, 5 seed Jets, 6 seed Bills and 7 seed Patriots, which is kind of funny because two of the worst, well, not the worst divisions, but what a lot of us would consider to be the worst divisions in football in the NFC East and the AFC East are both close to getting four teams in the playoffs. Like, if it ended today, the AFC East would have four teams in the playoffs in the Dolphins, the Jets, the Bills, and the Patriots. And the Patriots are not a good football team. So that's that's your AFC. Your NFC would be Eagles 1 seed, Two Vikings, three Seahawks, go Hawks, Andy. Four Buccaneers, five Giants, six Cowboys, and seven 49ers. And look, the 49ers have one of the best defenses in the league, but they look beatable. They did not look unstoppable against the Chargers the other night. And again, I don't know if the Chargers make the playoffs this year. Some people will say that that has a lot to do with who Justin Herbert is. I would disagree with those people, but I digress. But again, there's a lot to this, and the Eagles and Vikings, they could have a pretty easy walk because one of those guys is probably gonna get to play the Cowboys. That's gonna be an easy walk. It'll be I feel like with how the Packers and the Buccaneers look and a lot of these like marquee teams in the league, like look at the quarterbacks. That won't make the playoff. That probably won't make the playoffs this year. Aaron Rodgers might not make the playoffs this year. The Cowboys could not make the playoffs this year. Matt Ryan, coming off a Super Bowl, probably won't make the playoffs this year. Especially with the recent injury of Cooper Cup, and Kyler Murray might also not make the playoffs this year. Deshaun Watson probably won't make the playoffs this year. It's gonna be an interesting quarterback playoffs, because you're going to have Ryan Tannehill probably in it again, you're going to have Tua in it again, or in it, you're going to have Zach Wilson in, you're going to have Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi in, you're going to have Jimmy G in, you're going to have Daniel Jones in, you're going to have Geno Smith in, it's going to be like the most mediocre year at quarterback in the NFL playoffs that I can remember in a long time. Which, if you pay attention to the foreshadowing, we'll get back to that here in a second. But I just do think it's interesting with all of the shum, uh, shuffle we had yesterday. Because the Bills are down to the sixth seed now. And we think they're probably one of the four best teams in the football. But again, that's when you got to get a lot more. Like, we're halfway through the season now. you got to get a lot more of these wins and losses out to really um, get those little wins in, that sprinkle throughout. And really separate teams in terms of making a playoff spot. Next deal. Um, This doesn't even have to be a long deal. But I do think it's worth mentioning. I think Dak Prescott is a waste of his contract at this point. In the same way in the days of old that Stephen A. Smith used to say about Jay Cutler. Because Jay Cutler really did rob the city of Chicago. He stole money from that city and he, he owes it back. Dak Prescott is the same way. Dak Prescott has done absolutely nothing other than choking big games and to look like just as good of a quarterback as Cooper Rush. That's all that Dak has done. Lose big games and look like he might not even be the best quarterback on his own team. Because there's a lot of people who say, oh, like he saved the team from Tony Romo. And I, I feel like I hate being the guy who has to go to bat for Tony Romo. But I do feel like I like him more than most people. Even as a broadcaster, I like him more than most people. Like you do realize his last season, that yeah, he, he started the entire season. He went twelve and three. He had his highest completion percentage of his career, career highest passer rating, and highest QBR of his career. His his last full year as a starter. And for some reason, we wanted to push him out the road. It's not a; it was not a Tony Romo issue. Tony Romo was fine. Yeah, he had three years of eight and eight, and a year of one and five. The year before that, he was eleven and five. The year before that, he was eight and five. The year before that, he was thirteen and three. Tony Romo wasn't the problem. The Cowboys were. Dak Prescott is ro- like rolling in dough that he stole from Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones doesn't like to look wrong, which is why he tries to show so much love to Dak and Zeke. You ever notice that? He shows most love to the guys he paid the most money to. Now, that's an inverse relationship. It's, a, it's, it's mutually exclusive. He does both. It goes both ways. He shows love to them because, A, he needs them to perform well, but also doesn't look like an idiot for paying them so much. And frankly, he kind of is. So then other people want to look at... The, it's like glass half full, glass half empty kind of deal. Some people want to say, oh my gosh. Does this mean the Packers are back on track? Um, Because they beat the Cowboys. That's like people who want to be applauded for getting out of bed earlier than 10 o'clock in the morning. Yes. We're going to give you an award for doing what everyone expects you to do. Congratulations. You inhaled oxygen for 16 hours a day and slept for the other eight. Like, we're not going to give you props for beating the Cowboys because anyone can beat the Cowboys. Yes, Mike Parsons is good. Yes, that defense is maybe top 10 in the league, but that's even borderline. But first of all, that was the first time that Aaron Rodgers looked like he had energy in his veins all season long. And some people want to say, part of me wants to say, well, winning cures all. Here's the other thing. There's, there's certain people in life that require unorthodox methods of motivation. And there's just wor- things that work for them that work for no one else. And things that work for most people that don't work for them. Aaron Rodgers is one of those hooligans. Aaron Rodgers... Is While he walks around and acts like a uh, a bearded Zen man, he's one of the most emotionally charged people I've ever seen in my entire life. I think the reason that Aaron Rodgers beat the Cowboys had zero to do with Christian Watson's three touchdowns, even though I do think Christian Watson's going to be awesome because he's 6'3 and runs a 4'3. If we know one thing about Aaron Rodgers, one thing that he loves more than anything is getting revenge on people that he feels like wrongs him or he disagreed with. And if you think that Aaron Rodgers has a dis- like dislike, a distaste for Matt LaFleur, he hated that dirty son Mike McCarthy even more. I think part of it is because Mike McCarthy got way more credit in, in Green Bay than he ever deserved. And so Aaron says, wait a minute. I'm going to let everyone else know that you were not the reason that we won there. I think he's still a little salty about that. And it, it it almost is like the enemy of the enemy is my friend where like he spends his entire season in post-game press conferences just ruining his receivers and then they go out and win a game and everyone's like, oh my gosh, maybe the Packers are back. I don't think the Packers are back. I just think that Aaron Rodgers... Hates Mike McCarthy more a little bit more than he hates his own teammates, and therefore he played successfully and stopped hating them for two seconds long enough to respect them enough to throw them the football in a decent way and not lose his mind when when the catch wasn't perfect. Also, the run game was really good. Um, so there's that. CFP reactions. So let's go ahead and give you your CFP rankings. Again, they're not super different from what they were last week. But there are a couple things we got to get into, right? Again, not a whole lot of change, but let's give you like this. So 15 Kansas State, 14 Ole Miss, 13 North Carolina, who I actually really like. Drake, may I believe, leads uh, college football quarterbacks in touchdowns because the dude's insane. I really like North Carolina, and they could mess around and win the ACC with one loss, and that'd make things really interesting. Then you have Oregon at 12, Penn State at 11. Oregon is not worse than Penn State. Oregon is also better than Utah. You have Utah at 10, Clemson at 9, Bama at 8, USC at 7, LSU at 6, Tennessee at 5, TCU at 4, Michigan at 3, Ohio State at 2, and Georgia at 1. So here's the first thing that I want to say. Because it's looking like, at this point, that Oregon, even if they were to mess around and win the Pac-12, which would be difficult, they're most likely not going to make the college football playoff, just because of how things um, look at this point. So, the Pac-12 standings go like this. Cal is, there's no way this is right. Cal can't be number one in the Pac-12 North. Hold on. There's there yeah, there's no way. Okay. I don't know why I can't get anyone to give me solid numbers in the Pac-12. But UFC, USC is number one in the Pac-12. And Oregon is number two. This tells me everything I need. To, the Pac-12 is such a joke of a conference. I've told you about my experience about... Just my friends who work for them. It's a struggle over there for real. They can't even... We can't even get Google to update the Pac-12 rankings. This is insane. All I want to say is I think Oregon deserves a lot of credit for scheduling Georgia two years ago, week one. And and let's be honest, it's a big bet. If it pays out, you be an absolute juggernaut because if they would have won that game, obviously they didn't know when they scheduled it, but had they won it, they would have beat, they would have upset the national champs who owned the NFL draft the year before. It would have been incredible. They did. But then they go and they play Sorry, they go and they play the number 1 the quarterback leading the college football in pass yards in Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. And they lose that game as well. Other than that, Oregon has done everything that they need to do. To me, Oregon actually has a better case to make the college football playoff. And I get that they got shellapped by Georgia. But again, so has everyone else. Oregon, to me, is more deserving. If you want to talk about deserving of a playoff spot, Oregon, to me, is more deserving than Ohio State or Michigan because Oregon's actually played people who matter. Michigan, Ohio State, neither one of them have except for Penn State who I think is wildly overranked at 11. Like I've watched Penn State. They're not that good. And I I'm not even going to be a Penn State homer. Like they're not that good. And then people who want to put who want to argue that TCU shouldn't be at 4. Here's the deal. Again, same thing with Oregon. You can say that Tennessee is better at 5, and I would agree with you. I think Tennessee and TCU on a neutral field, obviously Tennessee wins. But the issue that you run into when you say, oh, well, we're just going to go off eye test only, then you immediately tell me that the games don't matter. If TCU and Tennessee are both 9-1, and one, then I'll do like eye, eye test as a tiebreaker. But if you, if you immediately put TCU at 5 and Tennessee at 4, then my question to you is, what would you like TCU to do then? Because they've done just about everything that they can. They've had games where they played defense, a la this last week against Texas. They've had come-from-behind wins. They've had team wins where they blow people out. And, and your and your response to that might be, oh, well, they shouldn't have been behind in those games. Yeah, but some people get behind in games by default, whatever, turnover, it doesn't matter, and then they can never come back because they just don't have the underdog mentality that they need. TCU has shown everything they need to at this point that they deserve to be where they are. So I don't agree with people who want to come out here and say, oh, well, TCU's not better than Tennessee, therefore they shouldn't be four. They're not better than Tennessee, But that's not how it works. You win the games that are in front of you. TCU has done that. And if we're going to penalize Oregon for losing to Georgia, then we get to penalize Tennessee for the exact same thing. Again, I think Ohio State-Michigan, like we've talked about, Ohio State-Michigan is just going to end up being the the pseudo-Big 12 championship. It's unfortunate, but... At this point, it really doesn't matter. I'm excited because we still have USC and UCLA to play, even though UCLA has lost two games. Like, I just, you're going to, and I think UCLA will beat USC, which will make the Pac-12 way interesting to see how that all pans out. And then you'll have, uh, I mean, right now you have three SEC teams in the top six, four in the top eight. So kind of crazy. We'll just, we'll just have to see how that ro- rolls. Um, but yeah, the difference between Oregon and Ohio State. So, so let's say that you want to consider uh, Washington and Penn State on the same level. Okay, fine. So Oregon has one loss that Ohio State doesn't. But Ohio State and Michigan both have played no one. They've scheduled no one. And that's why they're two and three. Because they haven't played anyone. That's why Georgia gets to be number one. Because they actually play people who matter. And they win those games. Ohio State and Michigan haven't played anyone. And they're being rewarded for it. That's why I'm so excited for a 12-team playoff. Because, yes, there might be more playoff spots. But home field advantage will matter. And Like home field advantage in college football. Just look up statistics pretty much everywhere. It matters big time. But I do, if you want to talk about being upset that we're rewarding TCU for winning all of their games when it doesn't matter, how about we stop rewarding Michigan and Ohio State for playing their games that don't matter, and we're penalizing Oregon for going to Georgia and playing at Georgia. Let's let's not do that, okay? Um, Just a couple other things to get to. I'm not sold on Justin Fields. Look, everything that glitters isn't gold. I get that Justin Fields looks like the best Madden quarterback that we have to offer. And that he's having these games where he puts up over hundreds of yards rushing. But guess what? There's reasons why rushing stats are so easy to surpass combined with passing stats. Because people who can pass the football and run the football just don't. Do it that high of a level that often. It's cool that just like Justin Fields is an incredible athlete, incredible athlete, one of the best that we've seen. It reminds me of like almost like a more athletic Cam Newton. But just because you can run the ball for 150 yards a game, I don't want my quarterback doing that. It's one of my big issues with Josh Allen. I don't need you to do that in a game. I need you to pass the football. And I get if your offense doesn't allow that, but. Quarterback has never been about being a running back. That's why the Lamar Jackson, pretty good for a running back, comment is so funny because you have to actually be able to pass the football to also be an effective passer. So I'm not in love with this hype that everyone is like, it's fun to watch the Justin Fields highlights. He's incredible. But he's that just being that athletic and that talented doesn't make you a great quarterback. And I'm not saying that he can't be, but I'm not. I'm saying there are some people who are like, "Oh, could Justin Fields get in the MVP conversation?" No, not not like this. Um, Tua, same deal, a little bit different. Again, like Tua's played good football, but how many movies have you seen where the movie was incredible? And because the movie was incredible, we anointed someone who wasn't an established actor yet. We said, oh, wow, they're such a good actor. Uh, Like, I remember people really wanted to say that about, I believe his name was John David Washington. The guy who was in Tenet. Oh, my gosh. like He's going to be next up. Dude, he was in a great movie. Like, let it be. Same with Miles Teller. Not to say that Miles Teller isn't great because he is, but Top Gun was incredible. Top Gun didn't need Miles Teller. Miles Teller was great anyway. Everyone else was great in that movie. So to say that it was a great Miles Teller movie is not accurate. And I feel the same way about Tua. You want to tell me that Tua is Miles Teller in Top Gun? I'll let you have that. But guess who really made Top Gun? Tom freaking Cruise, and 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 um, John Hamm, and Val Kilmer, and um, Douchebag McGee, uh, Hangman, whose uh, name I can't remember, to a Tango Loa you can have Miles Teller in Top Gun, but that movie was going to be great without you, did not need you. Um, there are some people who want to say that the Eagles' loss is a sign of things to come, I disagree for a number of reasons. I also think, dude, the loss is good. You lost a division game to a scrappy Washington Commanders team. And... Some people's favorite comeback to a great stat is, oh, well, numbers can be conflated. I won't name those people's names, but I do know someone who says that a lot. Oh, well, well, numbers can be skewed. Numbers can be this, that, and the other thing. Look, Jordan Davis... When he's on the field for the Eagles, that was the best thing they could have done was draft Jordan Davis. And obviously last night you saw how much they missed him. I'll just I there's so many different numbers across the season between the yards per carry when Jordan Davis is on the field and when he isn't. It it draws it drops dramatically when he's on the field. And also don't give me oh, he never plays. He's increased snaps every single week. His snap count has gone up. So, like week five, he was playing forty-six percent of the snaps. Two weeks earlier, he was playing thirty-two percent. So it's going up every single week. So don't don't give me that. Jordan Davis. This team is missing. They'll get him back. And also, they were just playing against a scrappy Washington Commanders team. And also, Justin J- or not J- Fields. Jalen Hurts played great. Things didn't go their way, and they still lost by one score. And honestly, Brandon Graham and the Eagles got robbed on that late hit call. Because how ridiculous is it? We ask these guys to be animals when they rush the passer. In what world does the quarterback get to run around and then take a knee? If you take a knee in the pocket and you get hit, that's on you. If you don't want to get hit slide, or throw the ball away. But don't do it right as you're getting pass rushed. It doesn't make any sense. And if if you think I'm being ridiculous, then two plays later he did the same thing. Victory formation, you know what you're supposed to do? You get the ball and you kneel it. And the reason nobody rushes you is because they're playing in a gentleman fashion where they assume you're taking it down. And Taylor Heineke stood there and waited for the pass rush to come after him before he decided to kneel it. Look, I actually think Taylor Heineke is better than Carson Wentz. I think he's a better option just because I think he's scrappier and I think that Carson Wentz is a little bit entitled for being the the underdog story that now is not really the underdog story because that's just not the personality that he plays with anymore. He thinks he's great when he's not. But the Eagles are the Eagles defense is different. Again, Eagles defense was great yesterday, but it's different when Jordan Davis is on the field. Again, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox... Um, and Robert Quinn gonna be awesome. So yeah, now and now they don't have to worry about oh no, the next game like we could lose the streak. Like who cares? Now they get to go out and play football, and they don't have to worry about where the pressure is coming from and and who's worried about which game they're winning, which game which game could end the entire season. It's like no, that now you just get to go out and play football, and we know how good the Eagles are, so not worried about that either. Um, I do want to touch this for a second. The You ever just see, like, ridiculous things on the internet? And you don't want to talk about them, but also... Sometimes my friends send me quotes. And I used to make the mistake of not vetting them before I read them. A la the, the idiot Justin Fields quote that I read on the air, like... like a couple months ago, I think it was preseason. Um, I don't know where LaShawn McCoy said this, but... Uh, Oh, sorry, via the Up and Adams show. I guess it's a podcast that Sports Illustrated had. Sports Illustrated posted this. Um, Sean McCoy had this to say about Bill Belichick. He said, quote, I think he is a good coach. All the greatest and we've never seen anything like him. That's bull crap. If you take away Tom Brady, do you know who he is? He's under 500. That's who he is. Now that he doesn't have Tom Brady, he's like all the other good coaches. The Marvin Lewis, the Rex Ryans, end quote. Um, Here's the issue with that. Explain to me a marriage that you've seen that only takes one person to work. If you can find me a marriage, a successful marriage that you know of, that only has one person pulling all of the weight in that cart, I'll give you props. Here's the problem. Those marriages don't exist. Are there certain quarterbacks in the NFL that could be great without a good coach? Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is probably one of them. Didn't really need a good coach. But guess what? All, all of the all-time greats had great coaches. Tom Brady. Bill Belichick, like we're talking about. Peyton Manning had Tony Dungy. Um, Andy Reid had Patrick Mahomes. And, and the list goes on. I won't even do it to you. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by making you think about great quarterbacks and great coaches put together. Because what I'm going to say to you is this. Look at what Patrick Mahomes was in college. You didn't even know who he was because why? He played at Texas Tech, and guess what? The same issue you want to give Josh Allen, he threw a ton of interceptions. Marriages are made together with two people. There's a reason that Aaron Rodgers has one Super Bowl. There's a reason that Kevin Durant has two championship rings and only they came with a great marriage that he couldn't work well enough to stay in. I hate when people say, oh, well, is it Tom Brady or is it Bill Belichick? Guess what? Go look at how many Defensive Player of the Year's or Defensive Player of the Year candidates Bill Belichick has put at corner. And then go look after they play with Bill Belichick. Look at Tom Brady right now. Great quarterback. Not playing like an all-time great right now. Playing very good. All I'm saying is, All time great, you want to be all time great, you're not getting there by yourself. You want to be really good to great, you can get there by yourself if you're great. But imagine how electric Aaron Rodgers could be if he played well with others. I hate when people want to say, oh well, it was it him or was it him? Dude, who cares? They won six Super Bowls. They were the most dominant team probably ever. This isn't college where you just get to recruit all – you just get to be on the playground and you pick all the best kids to be on your team because y'all are buddies. This is the real world where you make things work. And Todd Brady and Bill Belichick for a long time, they made it work and they were the best to ever do it together. But tell me what Patrick Holmes would be without, without Andy Reid. A bust. I'll tell you what Josh Allen would be without Brian Dable. A bust. Great quarterbacks need great coaches. There's a reason Geno Smith and Pete Carroll are making this thing work. Because guess what? Pete Carroll wasn't the coach for Geno Smith before this. And Pete Carroll hasn't really had an issue of winning the last five to ten years. Great marriages take two people to work. Because I guarantee you, you don't have any friends who have great marriages where one person's pulling everything. That's all I got to say. I'm really excited to uh, to see what this, this playoffs is going to have to offer. I mentioned a little bit about foreshadowing. This is, this is the foreshadowing that I'll leave you with as you go about the rest of your Wednesday. I believe it was 2016. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. One of the most mediocre conference championship quarterback selections of all time. You had Nick Foles, Case Keenum, Tom Brady, and Blake Bortles. That was a real thing that happened. Yes, that I, I'm not. I'm not miscalling anyone's name. That's how it happened. And all I want to say to you, for anyone who doesn't think Tom Brady, for anyone who thinks Tom Brady's falling off a cliff, for anyone who doesn't believe that Tom Brady can win a Super Bowl, all I'll say to you is this: Let's go ahead and look at who's left at quarterback in the NFC. Kirk Cousins. Jalen Hurts, um, anyone in the NFC East, Geno Smith. And I like Geno Smith. I think he's very talented. I think he plays within his parameters. He understands who he is. He understands who he isn't. But when you get to the playoffs, goats look like goats. And all I'm saying to you is Tom Brady against case kirk cousins and the boys he's done it before and i i don't see him messing up again not saying that the buccaneers are guaranteed a super bowl but i'm telling you history repeats itself what do they say those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it learn history people because it's about to come back around Hey, that is going to be the time today. Hopefully, y'all enjoy your Wednesday. Hopefully, things get a little bit better as we start to move into this actual uh, studio. I'm going to try and start live streaming it. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, thanks for hanging out. Have a great, les- uh, great rest of your uh, Wednesday or Thursday whenever you get to this. Whoa.